You know, as a pastor working on a sermon, or really any time that anyone has to give a public presentation, if you've ever had to give a speech, probably one of the most difficult things to do is to find just the right illustration or just the right metaphor to help pick the speech up, to help make that sermon what it is. You know, as a, as a preacher, when we're looking for sermon illustrations, when we're looking for metaphors, we're trying to find just the right illustration that can take a biblical truth that sometimes may be confusing or may be difficult to understand and bring it home. Try to make it uh, something that's going to unpack that truth in your spirit. And that can be tough. Uh, it's a lot easier today, I, I tell you as a minister, uh, you can go to Google. You can just click on something. You can join websites that have all these illustrations. But uh, back when I started in ministry, even 15 or 20 years ago, uh, it was hard. The only way you could find illustrations was to get newspapers and to get magazines and to read everything that you could. And you're always on the lookout for the perfect illustration for a sermon. And uh, I even had friends when I was in seminary back in the early 90s that worked at churches in the Dallas-Fort Worth area as what they called pastoral assistants. And their only job was to go through everything they could find uh, looking for illustrations or sermon illustrations for the senior pastor and for his upcoming sermons. And that's all they did was research. Uh, that's how big a deal it was. Matter of fact, one of the churches I served in, my senior pastor had told all of us as a staff that if we came up with an illustration that he used on Sunday morning, he would get us a free steak dinner. And so it was a competition among us because you were always trying to find that perfect illustration. And, and for me, as a pastor, I love to use metaphors. I, I love to try to find something that helps us understand the, the simplicity of the Word of God but bring it home to where we can apply it in our own hearts. I think for being a student pastor for so many years, I wanted to try to make sure I could make something that can seem complicated very simple and very practical. And that's the key to a great illustration. You know, there's movies and books that do it wonderfully. Uh, uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress is a wonderful book that takes the metaphor of the Christian life and, and brings it to home to us. Another more recent one would be like the Chronicles of Narnia that uses a metaphor that you read, and as you read, you begin to understand that he's trying to present spiritual truth. You know, when Jesus taught, Jesus taught in parables. He didn't use a lot of metaphors, he used parables. And it helped him convey something that was difficult into something real simple. Well, when Paul taught, Paul used metaphors. He didn't use parables. What he would do is he would compare a spiritual truth to something that everyone understood that made it practical. You know, in 1 Corinthians, he talked about the church and he compared it to a human body. He said, we are like the body, that everybody is a member. Somebody's an arm and somebody's a leg and somebody's a toe and somebody's an eye and a nose. And it helped people understand how the church comes together, being very different with different roles and different responsibilities, but having one purpose. He also compared the Christian life to running a race, some of our favorite passages. Uh, you know, in Philippians chapter 3 and then 1 Corinthians 10, uh, not everybody runs the race to win, but I beat my body and discipline myself to run as one who is running to win, giving it everything I've got. He liked to use metaphors. And in our passage this morning in Ephesians, and we've been studying to Ephesians and walking to Ephesians, Paul, in the middle of this teaching at the end of the book in chapter 6, as he's talking about spiritual warfare, stumbles onto probably what is the most popular spiritual metaphor in the New Testament. Probably the most famous or one of the most famous spiritual metaphors. And, and he doesn't really have to go far to find this illustration. Because if you remember, as you've been with us in the study of Ephesians, when Paul wrote this letter, he is in jail. It, really not in jail, he's under house arrest. 
And so day in and day out, as Paul is praying and studying and sending out these letters to the various churches, there at his door is a Roman centurion guarding his house. And as Paul is writing and praying for the church at Ephesus, and he's talking about spiritual warfare, he looks up and he sees this soldier, and it comes to him that that the weapons that God has given us to stand and to fight spiritual warfare is very similar to this Roman soldier that he's looking at every day. And so he begins to pin what becomes this popular metaphor that we know as the armor of God. And so this morning we are going to talk about what this armor of God means and how it helps us in our spiritual life. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to go back and look at verse 13 and go from there to verse 17. And... uh, And as we do, as we walk through it, I think there's one in your order of service. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. And remember that what we've looked at back in verses 10 through 13 is is we are fighting a battle not against people. The battles we fight, it's not against flesh and blood. We're not enemies against other people or other things that are going on in this world. The Bible says our enemy are things in the spiritual realm. And in calling us to fight, chapters, verses 10 through 13, five different times, Paul says that our role as a Christian is not to charge hell with a water pistol. It's not to take out your Bible and start banging people over the head and trying to preach to them. That's not our job. He says our job as a Christian is to stand, not charge, not run, stand. Because you see, the victory's already been won. At the cross, Jesus Christ won the victory once and for all. So we don't have to fight for victory. It's already been won. What we have to do as Christians is to stand for the victory that has been won on behalf of those that can't stand, on behalf of those that are hurting, on behalf of those in our family that don't know Christ. God calls us to stand. He says, contend for the faith. And so in standing, Paul is about to give us this armor of God. But the unique thing about the armor is of five of the six things, the elements that he's going to give us are all defensive. They're not offensive weapons. They are meant to give us strength to be able to stand. Now some of you say, well, how hard is it to stand? Well, look at your own life this week. How many of us are getting beat up by, by the things of this world, getting beat up by the circumstances and the situations that overwhelm us? How many of us are backing away from standing up for the truth because of the pressure we face from outside or the slings and arrows that the enemy throws at us? Standing can be one of the most difficult things we do as a Christian. And so Paul is encouraging us that God has given us everything that you need to be able to stand. The only two offensive weapons that he mentions, and we'll talk about them next week, is the Word of God and prayer. And those in being used as offensive, they are also defensive. And so we'll talk about that. But everything else we're going to look at this morning, all of these five elements are used to help us be able to stand. And I want to try to give you some practical application on how this works. Now, why do we need this armor? Because last week we looked in verse 13 because Paul said there's a day of evil coming. And people like to look at this as some kind of prophecy and say, well, He's talking about a day when the Antichrist is going to rise or or something like that. It's not that deep. The day of evil is something that almost everyone in this room has faced. The day of evil is that day when it seems like you are being overwhelmed by the things of this world. The Bible tells us the Scripture and the power of God and the Holy Spirit in our life does not allow us to escape difficulties. It allows us to overcome difficulties. And what happens when the devil comes at us, when the world comes at us, he doesn't just come with one or two pot shots. He comes like a wave. 
And some of you understand what that's like when it seems like everything is going against you and then another bad thing happens and then something else bad happens and and you're getting overwhelmed and you don't know where to turn and everything that you lay your hands on, it just comes against you and it comes against you. That's what Paul's talking about. There is a day of evil and some of you have walked through that. Some of you have crawled through that. Some of you have barely been able to endure through that. Some of you are there right now may not look like it on the outside, but on the inside you're in turmoil because you're, you're just coming under all kinds of attacks. Depression and doubt and discouragement is overwhelming you. Paul said if you're not ready for that, if you're not looking for it, if you're not paying attention, it will wash over you and leave you strung on the rocks of life, beaten up and battered and not know where to turn. So what he tells us is, when that day of evil is coming, if you're watching for it and you're ready with the armor of God, you can stand. And so our goal this morning is to help give you some practical advice from what Paul says here on how we can stand. Now you need to remember, all of this is done, verse 10 of chapter 6 tells us, not in our own strength. It's done by the strength of God. It's done by the Holy Spirit's power working within you. You can take all of these principles I'm going to give you, You can take all the armor of God and you can armor up, but if the Holy Spirit is not ruling and reigning in your life, none of that will mean anything. You see, the Holy Spirit's like the under armor. It's what we put on before we put on the armor because without the Holy Spirit, the armor is never energized. It never works. And so unless you submitted yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit and said, God, you take me, you have every area of my life, God, you rule, you reign, you're in charge, I'm going to submit to you, then this armor won't work. Now, I warned you a couple of weeks ago, and I just went by it real fast, but I want to warn you again. The one area that you do not submit to the Holy Spirit, because see, all of us struggle. Let's just be honest here. We're family. All of us struggle in one or two certain areas in our life. I've called it secret sins before. That one area that we struggle to release, that one area that we want to hang on to, that one area, that anger, that bitterness at somebody in our past that, that has done something to us, and we are just righteously angry at them, and we are holding a grudge, and that root of bitterness has gotten our spirit, and we don't want to let go. We want to be mad. We want to be angry. It feels good to be angry, right? We had a right to be angry. But the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, let go of that. It's holding you back. Maybe it's that lust. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's greed. Something in your life that you're not releasing. Whatever it is, that one thing, you can give God every area of your life, but that one thing that you're holding back will become the very target that the enemy will attack. It will become the very thing that he will pour at you with everything he's got. That's why it's so important this morning that you submit every area of your life to God, giving him all of it. So let's see what he says, how we're supposed to stand. I'm going to start in verse 13 where we ended last week, two weeks ago. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, for when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. That day is coming. And what's God expect out of us? He doesn't expect you to be waving a sword, going at it. He just wants to see you standing when that wave comes crashing. He just wants to see you being able to withstand all that comes against it. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
Now, that, that's a great metaphor, and you have to understand, he's looking at this soldier, and everyone has seen a soldier, and everyone knows what they look like that Paul is writing to. And so they can understand this belt, and this breastplate, and this helmet, and the sword, and the shield. So they can get a visual picture, and it helps bring home the truth. But one of the problems with coming up with a wonderful story, or even a wonderful metaphor, is sometimes people remember the story and metaphor, but they don't remember the application. I know as a pastor, there, I, you know, I, you find one or two of those stories that it's just incredible. It fits your sermon so good, and it's, people are going to walk away talking about it. And, and you think, man, I can't wait to tell a story and tie in this truth. And, and you do it on Sunday, and, and you think, man, that's going to ring home. And people come up to you that week and say, man, I love that story you told. You want to say, well, but what did the story mean? What was the application of the story? I know it was funny, and I know it fit in, but what was the application? Because you see, if you remember the story and you don't remember the application, it didn't do you any good. All you got out of that was a fun story. And I think sometimes when we talk about the armor of God, that happens. Because we, we like armor. Armor's cool, right? Especially for us guys. I mean, it's cool. God's given me some armor. And so when we have little kids, you know, you can see them sometimes. They got these armor, this plastic armor, and this breastplate, and this helmet, and they wear it around. Look, I'm wearing the armor. But what does that armor mean? Because you see, you can know all of that stuff. And, and listen, there's nothing wrong with going in-depth. And you can get in-depth on each of these elements. I mean, you can go back and look at all the similarities between the Roman soldiers sword, the Roman soldier's helmet, and the Roman soldier's belt, and you can tie all the spiritual implications. I mean, I've done that on Wednesday nights. You can take an hour for each one of these elements. But if you walk away from that, and all you know is the history of what the Roman soldier's belt meant, or his shield meant, or his helmet meant, and you don't know how God wants you to use that element of truth to make it on Monday, it didn't mean anything. If you don't walk away with that truth being able to say, this is going to help me when that day of evil comes this coming Thursday when I'm facing family problems, it hadn't done anything. So this morning, instead of being a comprehensive study, I'm just going to talk about the practical applications. That's, that's why I love the message translation. I gave it to you in your order. Listen to what he says in the Message Bible. Be prepared, for you are up against far more than you can handle on your own. I love that. Take all the help you can get, every weapon that God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Learn how to apply these things. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, they're more than words. You'll need them through your life, for God's Word is an indispensable weapon. See, what I want you to get as we look at these things are things that you can walk out, things that you can apply today, tomorrow, later this week. Now you'll recognize that in these five, six elements that we're going to talk about, there's really two categories because Paul uses two verbs. The first three, Paul says, are things that we already have, that you have right now, that you are to wear all the time, that you are always to never walk outside of the house without those first three things. He says you have the verb. But if you go down and look at the second, when he begins to talk about the shield, he says, but I want you to take up the shield and the helmet and the sword. Because these things that you don't need necessarily every day, but you need to have them ready before when that day of evil comes. Because when the day of evil comes and you begin to get overwhelmed, those are the things that you've got to be prepared with. And so there are really two types of offensive weapons. And the first one he talks about is the belt of truth. Now, for most of us, the belt's not important. Belt is a fashion statement, right? For those of us that are getting older, the belt is an important element. 
Okay, without the belt, our pants would fall down. But it used to be a fashion statement. It didn't mean anything. You wore a belt or you didn't wear a belt, depending on your outfit. But to the Roman soldier, the belt was everything. The belt was the most important element. It tied everything together. It, it was the first thing that they put on. Everything else that they put on afterwards clipped on to the belt. So without the belt, everything else was without a foundation. So you could say that the belt was foundational. When they put their breastplate on, they clipped it into their belt. When they put their scabbard on, it clipped into their belt. When they got their shield, they had a clip that they could rest their shield on their belt. Their belt held all the ornaments of the battles that they'd been in and the victories that they'd come. The belt was important. And so what he's saying, what Paul wants us to understand looking at this belt is that truth, the belt of truth, that truth does the same thing for the believer. You see, truth is central to everything else we believe. The greatest weapon we have to stand against the devil's schemes. What's the devil's greatest uh, tool that he uses? He's a liar, right? He's a deceiver. He's the accuser of the brethren. He is going to come at you with lies. What's the greatest way to defeat lies? Truth. You want to stand against someone who's lying? The truth. And so what Paul is saying is that when the devil comes, when the accuser comes, and he begins to tell you, you're not good enough, you're not, God can't love somebody so bad as you, when he begins to come and cause you doubts, what does he say that you need? You need the truth. So what is the truth? Well, the first thing that's easy to see there is Jesus said in John 14, what? I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Not a way, not one of many ways, I'm the way. Not one of many truths, not some truth, I am the truth. Jesus is the truth. Everything that we have is foundational to understanding that Jesus Christ is who he says he was, did what he said he would do, and continues to do it today. That is what holds everything else together for the Christian. The greatest weapon you have is Jesus Christ. It's recognizing who he is, what he's done. But there's something deeper here. The word truth there comes from a Greek word, which uh, is the word aletheia. It means something that has been laid tangibly and clearly before your eyes. Well, if you want to look in context of the book of Ephesians, what has Paul been laying before our eyes for us that have been here on Sundays for the last 50 weeks? What did he spend the first three chapters trying to get us to embrace and understand? Go back and read chapters 1, 2, and 3. What did he try to get us to understand? who you are in Jesus Christ, and what you've been given. You see, he wanted you to recognize that you are no longer just a poor, pitiful sinner saved by grace. You are now a saint, child of the King, that sometimes makes mistakes, but that does not define you. You are a child of the King now. And you have been given every spiritual blessing that there is under heaven. That's not my words, that's his words. And that is the truth that is the belt that's going to get you through the day of evil. You see, when the devil can get us to live less than who we are, he's already won part of the battle. When Christians begin to recognize, listen to me, if you don't get anything else, get this, and I've been trying to say it since last November. If we would ever embrace all that we are in Jesus Christ, the power that we have, the victory that we have, the devil wouldn't stand a chance. We could ever gird ourselves up with the idea that I am a child of the King that has been given every power through the Holy Spirit to accomplish everything that God wants to accomplish. Why do you think Jesus said if we only had the prayer of a mustard seed, we could move mountains? People say, well, that's a great parable. It's not a parable, it's a truth. 
Think about that. If we had that much faith, we could pray and see mountains move. If we could have that kind of prayer, the nation has nothing on it. Just imagine as the church began to pray for revival in our nation, believing and broken for our nation. Imagine what would happen. That's the kind of faith that God said you have right now. The faith to overcome the problems in your family. The faith and the ability to stand when everyone else is bowing. Paul said, if you could ever wrap your hands around this truth, it would become the belt that ties everything else together. It would become the strength of your life because the devil's going to come at you. And he's going to accuse you and he's going to say, you're lucky to be saved. You're lucky that you stumbled into God. You didn't stumble into God. God had a plan before the foundations of the earth for you. God had a plan for you before your mother ever thought about you. You are precious in His eyes. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't let somebody tell you you're not pretty enough and you're not smart enough and you're not fast enough and you can't and you can't and you can't because the Word of God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is no can't in Jesus' vocabulary. You see, if you begin to embrace what you have in Christ, it'll overwhelm everything else that you do. I have to apologize because I had preached in two weeks, so this has all been ready to come up. I'm way off message, but I think the Holy Spirit wants you to hear it. Somebody needs to hear it this morning. Because I want you to grasp this truth, because this is the truth that Paul says everything else clings to. If you're getting beat up this morning, you're tired of being dashed on the rocks, it's time to embrace the Word of God and believe it for the truth that it is. Stop trying to excuse it away. Stop letting people tear it down in your eyes. Begin to recognize that this love letter was written to you to empower you for anything that you're going to face. And that's the truth of the Word of God that will overwhelm your enemy. It keeps you from stumbling. That's why last year when we started this message, I had you declare, I am a saint, not because of my actions, but because of Jesus' actions. And you struggled with it. You kind of own a saint. We don't believe it. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. We don't believe it. I'm a new creation. I've been set free. I've been given victory. You see, we have to begin to embrace it. We have to begin to believe it. That is what will happen when the day of evil comes. I heard somebody quote when I was studying through this, said if we don't have that truth wrapped securely around us like a belt, the world will come and pull our pants down and spank us on a daily basis. That may sound crude, but listen, I've been spanked before by the world and by the enemy and by my own nature because I wasn't ready to understand, to embrace, and claim who I am in Jesus Christ. He said truth will give you the strength to persevere. The second thing he says here, the breastplate of righteousness. The word there, breastplate, is basically the, the interpretation in the Greek is heart protector. You see, in the Roman culture, in the Jewish culture, they believed that the heart was the seat of your thoughts. That was where your mind was. You didn't think with your brain, you thought with your heart. That's why they had terms like hard-hearted and cold-hearted, because your personality stemmed from your heart. Just like your stomach was the place of your emotions. They thought all of your emotions came from your stomach. You ever heard somebody say, I've got a gut feeling? What does that mean? 
your gut doesn't feel anything. Well, in the culture of Greek and Roman and Jewish culture, it did. Your gut was where your feelings came from. So what did the breastplate do? It protects your heart. It protects your emotions. It protects your thoughts and your, your personality and who you are. And what he says is what protects your heart, what protects your emotions? Righteousness. Now, in the Bible, in the New Testament, there's two types of righteousness mentioned. There is imputed righteousness, which is uh, personal righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus. We like to call it um, justification. That when you accepted Jesus Christ, you were made right before God. And there is nothing you can do to separate you from that righteousness. Why? Because it didn't depend on your actions. All it depended on you was bowing your knee and saying yes to God. And in heaven right now, you are imputed righteous. You are made right by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the other righteousness is practical righteousness. That is holiness. That is me striving to be more like Jesus, letting the Holy Spirit live in me. And so what Paul is saying is the way you protect your, your heart, the way you protect your emotions, the way you protect your personality is to claim Christ's righteousness. You see, when Christ saved me, when I was made right, there is nothing I can do to separate me from the love of Christ. See, so many Christians walk around with false guilt. And false guilt doesn't come from God. It comes from the devil. Listen, because God convicts. He doesn't bring guilt. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. He's not there condemning you. But I see so many Christians that live less than what they're called to because they're walking around guilty. Oh, I wanted to do this and I want to do more and, and I just blew it and I made a mistake and God can never use me again and God could never love me and you don't understand I'm this old and I messed up with my kids and so I'm, it's beyond repair. Those are lies. You are righteous in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you've also have been given the ability to live for Christ, made right. He is saying what protects those doubts. We get so discouraged because we think we failed. And let's be honest. I, I wouldn't have you raise your hands, but I promise you, half of you, that probably all of you, let's be honest, all of you that are parents, sometime this week felt like you failed. And we feel like we fail as Christians every week. Man, I didn't read the Bible the way I wanted, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do, I should have told somebody I loved them, and I should have done this for somebody. Man, I just failed. You know how you guard against that? You know how you stand against that? By the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because yes, you're going to make mistakes, and yes, you will face struggles, and yes, you sin. But, but the blood of Jesus Christ has made you whole. You are righteous. Stand in your righteousness. Stand in the truth of the Word of God. The third thing he says is we need to have the shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, you, when you think of a soldier, you don't think of the shoes being real important. I mean, they're shoes, right? But you don't recognize that more soldiers have been taken out of battle in all American wars by their feet than by bullets. Remember when you were a little kid and you were studying about the Continental Army at Valley Forge? What, what was wrong with the Army? Wasn't, they didn't have guns. They didn't have shoes. Go and read the history of World War II. One of the greatest things that failed American soldiers was trench feet. Soldiers were required to take their shoes off and Vietnam crew take their shoes off and look at their feet because if you don't have good shoes, you can't fight a battle. What do shoes help you do? They help you move. They help you stand. They help you not fall down on rocky ground. And see, Paul knows that there is going to be times when you're going to face 
Rocky ground. You, there are going to be times in your life that you're going to face struggles, times in your life you're not going to know if you can stand. When that wave crashes in on the rocks and, and you're struggling to stand, he says, what is going to get you to stand? Choose of the gospel of peace. Now, the gospel simply means good news. What is the good news? That Jesus loves you and died for you. And you know what the good news does? The gospel does? It brings peace. Now, this word peace here not the normal, hey, how are you? I'm peaceful. It's not based on emotion. It's not based on circumstance. Everything is going good. You know, I got peace and quiet in my house. That's not the kind of peace he's talking about. The Greek word irene, and it's the same word in the Jewish culture that's shalom. And see, shalom is not a peace to say, you know, I hope you have peace or peace and hang in there. It is a peace that is absolute in spite of the circumstances. It is what we sing about when we sing about the peace that passes understanding. It is a peace in your spirit in the midst of turmoil. It is having an overwhelming peace about everything that you're dealing with and everything you're facing when the world around you is crumbling. It is the peace that comes walking through the valley of the shadow of death knowing that you have a God who's watching out for you. So how does good news give you peace? Because when you begin to recognize that you have Jesus Christ and there is nothing this world can throw at you apart from Him. There is a peace that overwhelms you. When you begin to recognize that no matter what happens to you, God is in control. Do you know that this morning? That disaster you faced this year, that bad report you got from the doctor, that prodigal son that still roams around, do you know God's not surprised by it? God knew it. God's in control. God's got a plan. He's not shaken. Why should we be? Because you see, when we begin to recognize that because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, my future is secure and my present is secure. And my past is forgiven. What the world throws at me won't shake me. Because I'm on a firm foundation. That foundation can never be rocked, can never be washed. Some of, you, some of you need to hear me this. Some of you are, are so discouraged. Some of you this morning, your life could be called anything but peace. You didn't sleep last night because you were worried, or you didn't sleep this week because you were worried. Stressed, overwhelmed. The Bible says God wants you to experience peace. Because you see, when you're frazzled and you're overwhelmed and you're stressed, you make bad decisions. You make bad choices. So the devil knows that if he can bring disarray into your life, he, I told you we're already going to face circumstances that are going to be tough because we live in a fallen world. So we're going to face disease and we're going to face disasters because the world is crumbling because of the sin in it. But we're also going to face difficulties that come from naming the name Jesus Christ. And the only way that you can stand through it is to recognize the peace of the good news of Jesus Christ. What Job did, remember what the devil said? He said, you know that Job, he worships you because everything's good. Man, he's got a big house. He's got lots of family. He's got everything he ever wants. Take some of that away, God. He'll curse you. So God began to test Job. And what did Job do? In the, I love it. Job sitting in an ash pile that was his house looking at the graves of his family. You want to talk about the day of evil coming. 
Everything he had gone like that. His three friends come by and say, Job, you just need to curse God and die. His only living wife comes by and says, Job, you're useless. You just need to die. And what does Job do? Though he slay me, still I will worship. Still I will praise him. That's peace. You want that kind of peace? Claim, cling to the gospel of the salvation. You need to have truth. You need to have righteousness. You need to have the shoes of peace. Then he said, those things you always have, but there's coming a day when you've got to pick up something else. And that's the shield of faith. I love the picture of the shield and the Roman soldier because they carried two kinds. They carried a little round one for hand-to-hand, -hand, and they carried a big four-and-a-half by two-and-a-half feet one for when there were big battles because it protected everything. It held together. And he said, there's going to come a time, and he says it there in verse 16, flaming arrows of Satan are going to come shooting at you. See, this is when he starts getting personal. See, those other things we face, the truth, the breastplate, the shoes, those are just normal everyday things of life. But then all of a sudden when the devil starts coming at you, on top of all that, he says, you're going to have to pick up your shield. What is it, faith? What is faith? It's believing totally and completely in God and God's word. God has a plan. See, when the devil starts slinging doubt and discourage, you say, God's got a plan. God's got a plan. Those arrows aren't going to hit me because I know God's got a plan. I know God's in control. Faith. And faith is always acted by obedience. It activates it. And so when you begin to obey God, that faith begins to stand strong. And the thing I like about the Roman soldier, the picture, is that they would get together with their shields and they linked up. They connected and a whole army could connect shields and could protect each other. The people's weak spots, the shields could connect. And that's what the church does. See, some of you say, I can barely hold my shield because my faith isn't real strong because I, I don't know how to act on it. I don't know how to step out on it. Well, you need to link in with somebody else who's got a shield and let their shield strengthen your shield. That's why we encourage you to get in a small group, get in a Bible study group where when your faith is weak, their faith is strong, and you are fighting together. Faith will allow you to stand when the arrows of the world come. And the last thing he says is we need to put on the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet, the only purpose of a helmet was for close combat. See, the other stuff helps you in battle, slings and arrows, but a helmet only helps you when they come at you with a sword, when it's close, when it's personal. Because, see, there's going to come a time when the enemy can't get you through your belt and he can't get through the breastplate. He can't destroy your feet, shoes. He can't get through the shield. He's going to come at you. And look for that head wound. And that head wound is doubt. It's going to cause you to doubt. Maybe I'm not a believer. Maybe I don't have the faith. Maybe I'm not who the Bible says I am. And when you begin to doubt, all of a sudden, all of those other things begin to crumble. That helmet of salvation, what is the salvation? Salvation tells me that Jesus Christ saved me. Just stand in that truth. That in spite of myself, Jesus saved me. In spite of myself when I was empty, God looked down and loved me enough to save me. And it is that truth that will protect you from doubt and discouragement. So what I want you to grasp, and I'm done, what I want you to grasp this morning is that you and I have been given everything we need to stand. Stand against what you're facing. But you can't stand on your church membership. 
You can't stand on your Bible knowledge. You can know this whole book, and that's not going to give you the ability to stand. You can't stand on how many ministries you've been involved in or all the special spiritual things you do. Those things are good, but that's not where you stand. You see, when you're willing to stand against all the things that the world's going to throw at you, it's truth, who you are in Jesus Christ that's going to get you through. Buckled around your waist. It's righteousness. I am the righteous child of the King, and I can live a holy and pleasing life to Him. It is the shoes of the gospel of peace, the good news that brings me peace that passes understanding. It's the shield of faith, knowing that God's in control. It's the helmet of salvation, knowing that I don't have any doubts because I am His, because of what He did on the cross of Calvary. Those things that will help you stand. Let me ask you, church, this morning, you're tired of getting beat up? Tired of being bruised and battered? Tired of limping along? Paul says, I run the race. Some of us aren't running, we're crawling. We're just hoping to make it to the finish. We're hoping to get to the end, right? Don't you want to run? Don't you want to sprint? Don't you want to give it everything you got? Don't you want to finish the race like Paul said? Fight the good fight? The only way you can do that is by allowing the Holy Spirit to empower the armor of God in your life. And that starts by submitting to Him. Will you submit to Him? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word, and we thank You for the power of Your Word. Father, I believe probably in this room and this many people, there are some that are facing the day of evil right now. God, it... They hadn't called it that. They've called it cancer, or they've called it divorce, or they've called it bankruptcy, or retirement disappearing, or recession, or prodigal child. They've called it something else, but it's the day of evil because it has brought discouragement and defeat. It has overwhelmed them. It's causing stress and worry and bad health. And Father, we come against all of that right now by the Word of God. And Father, I ask right now that each one of us in this room would search ourselves to see if we have given you every area of our life to submit to you because by your word tells us that there is a truth of who we are in Jesus Christ and that he is the way, the truth, the life that empowers us to overcome this day of evil. There is a righteousness that is his given to us that allows us to stand. There's the gospel of peace that overwhelms our spirit. Father, I pray peace on people this morning. I pray love wash over this room. I pray acceptance wash over this room. I pray grace and mercy and forgiveness wash over this place. But Father, I pray the truth of your word would dig deep into our spirits this morning, causing us to recognize that we don't have to roll with the punches anymore, that we can stand. Ezekiel tells us the prophet that God looked the nation of Israel before he destroyed it for someone who would build up the wall and stand in the gap on behalf of the nation, but he found none. Father, I know you're looking for someone to stand in the gap for the high school, for the college, for families, for their kids. Somebody that's willing to say, I'm going to stand, and I'm going to stand in victory and through victory. God, I pray we would stand this morning by your power, by your might, by your strength for your victory. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you worship with us? I pray you would recognize the truth of those words.
I'm just sensing in my spirit that some of you are struggling. You're struggling with this truth. Say, okay, preacher, I heard it. You don't know what this day of evil is for me. You don't know how bad it's been. You don't know how tough it is. You don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't, but Jesus does. Jesus has walked it. He's walking it with you right now. And he has given you everything that you need to overcome. Doesn't mean that it's going to get better. That's not what he promises. Doesn't mean that it's going to get easy. Doesn't mean that your problems will disappear. But he allows you in the Spirit of God to overcome it and to withstand it. Paul said, the sufferings of this life are nothing compared to what God has for me in the future. What we can see in this life is nothing more than a dust speck in this room compared to eternity. God said, I got a plan for you. It may hurt, it may be a struggle, but I'm going to be there with you and I'm going to walk it with you because there is coming a day. It's Friday. Sunday is coming. There's coming a day when every tear will be dried, when every heart will be healed, when every brokenness will be bound. That's for you this morning. That's why I'm standing. Because he stood for me. Father, I pray blessings on each person here. I pray you protect their hearts, that you hold them close, that you let them know that you are with them. Overwhelm them by the power of your spirit. Father, not just right now, but tonight when they're struggling to sleep and later on this week when they don't know where they're going to turn. God, overwhelm them with your presence. Let them know they're not alone. Let them feel your love. Let them feel your grace. Father, we rejoice in the power of the cross. We rejoice in who we are in Christ Jesus this morning and all that we've been given. Let us walk that out. Protect us. Hold us close. Let us live victory to victory. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You have a great week.